I have I've always been a data scientist, you know, right right out of school. And I met, uh, you know, very brilliant colleagues, my co-founder, Padma Polash. And one thing, one theme was common, is that leveraging this technology was complex. You had to piece a lot of things, a lot of technologies together to be able to build an actual solution. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest. And I say warm, I mean it because it's one of those minus 30 days. This will be coming out later in January, February. But this was that week before Christmas when it was minus 100 as we were all running around pre-Christmas stuff and wishing it was much warmer. So a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest today, Kwame Asedu. Asedu, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, thanks. Oh, Thanks man, for thank- having me, Tyler. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, we got introduced, I think it was from uh, Laura at Sate, I believe. I don't know, the yeah. world always conspires. I don't know why I always have to say how we've met, but I just love how Calgary, when you put yourself out there and, and, and are willing to be part of the community, the community provides the connections, the people you meet, and we'll talk a little bit about that even as you started your business and you know how that's played into. But you are the co-CEO at Braintoy. So before we go any further, let's jump in the elevator and give everybody a little pitch. What is Braintoy all about? And uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, so Braintoy is all about making AI accessible to everyone. Uh, this technology, AI, is super useful. However, it's also very complex and a lot of people you know, they shy away from it. They don't know where to start. And so we tend to simplify the development of AI solutions by building a platform called MLOS. And so we put this in the hands of domain experts so they can leverage their data and also data scientists. Uh, they can build production AI solutions. But we also realize that it involves empowering people with the principles. And so we also partner with educational institutions to to teach them the people, the principles, especially future generations and organizations, the principles of what AI is, and so they can put it to work. And if you need help, we also build custom or bespoke solutions for organizations. I feel that you've been in this elevator before. That was very well. That was very well laid out, sir. I, pre- I appreciate that. I'm going to go a little bit. I'm going to go a little bit down to ground level again. We're going to push go right, but maybe we're going to go to the basement. Define AI just for my audience, and I think we're going to get into the complex. But let's start it. I always like to build with. Don't assume everybody knows or anybody knows because AI has been around for a long time. Yeah, like since the 50s. But but some people are like, oh, AI, this new thing. I'm like, when you dig in, this is just the next iteration. So maybe give us just a little bit of the Cole's notes or the the two minute view uh, definition of what is AI and kind of why all of a sudden now it seems to be literally on everybody's uh, it's coffee table talk almost literally now. (laughs) Yeah. um, I I define it very simply uh, in a way that people can understand by using this analogy. You see how as humans, you can do what we call pattern recognition. You can be driving, you can still be on your phone talking, you know, you're able to see people crossing the road through traffic lights and all of that. You're able to, this is pattern recognition, right? Uh, the computer is not really good at this. The computer is really good at, if I ask you 10 plus, 15 plus, the square root of 9 plus, you know, 18 minus 20 plus this, you cannot tell me, but the computer can tell me. And so what we're trying to do is to get the computer to actually learn from experience and be able to make decisions, you know, recognize patterns like humans are able to do without necessarily writing rules for it. So that is the simple way of, you know, and this is how our brain works. Whenever we make decisions, you know, today is very cold. So you you ask the weather, you look outside, and then you decide, am I going to wear a jacket or not, as an example. Your brain processed it, it made a decision, right? And so we are trying to do the same thing when computer learns, You put them in a situation they quickly learn, either from experience or as they go, 
and then they are able to make decisions without the humans necessarily interfering and programming it and giving it some rules. Interesting. But if you think about your scenario of it's minus 30 out, and I'm going to now draw on data experience, maybe hard lessons learned um, when my 19-year-old cousin showed up or nephew showed up on, on Saturday at minus 20 without a jacket, his computer hadn't learned yet at 19 years old that you require the, you know, so I would argue that he did have the data, he just didn't tap into it. But when you think about the computer to be able to get it to that level, the amount of data and, and past quote unquote experiences it needs to accumulate, that, that is always the biggest from what I've been chatting with, that access to that data so it can create the pattern and go, oh, this, these five other times this scenario occurred, this is what the result was. Is that, am I over simplifying it or is that really where it starts to I, I love your analogy i'm kind of carrying that a little bit forward our cumulative experiences allow us to draw on that and recognize those patterns and make decisions is it really the same requirement for the computer to have that much input as well yeah it does and um you see there are various various branches of ai and for mm-hmm. most of it which is what a lot of people are doing called machine learning yes you need historical data you need okay. you know cumulating information so that it will be able to learn from it um, I think you asked the question about why all of a sudden people are, you know, gravitating towards this. And it's because, you know, now the technology is fully matured where, you know, a lot of people have put in efforts to try to simplify it and make it useful. Also make it practical. Uh, computers are also now able to process because you need a lot of computational power. They're also very cheap until we are able to do it. Um, however, there is something that You know, I always talk about people stay in what I call the mythical world. And what that means is that, you know, I compare incremental thinking versus exponential thinking. Things that develop exponentially, you know, initially they start to be very cumbersome, very clunky. Only a few people can do it, right? Um, But over time, they begin to explode in price and performance accessibility. But sometimes we, we don't notice this change and we still stay in that mythical era. And I always give this this example. If I give you two pennies a day for two, uh, you know, a day for two months, right? Two pennies that double in value a day for two months. And I give you $10,000 a day. Also, no, let's say one month. Two pennies that double in value a day for for a month. And $10,000 a day for a month. Which one will you pick? I'll take the two pennies because I've heard this story before. I think it's, I think in relation to a grain of rice, I think is the one I've heard it from. In reference exactly, to. right? Yeah. You know, but... And it's easy for us to see because one month, you know, $10,000, you get 310000 But the two pennies, you end up with $10.7 million. Now, it's easy for us to see the 10000 incrementally, but it's very difficult for us to see the two pennies getting into $10.7 million. And that's what AI has become, technologies that evolve exponentially, which is what two pennies get into $10 million is. It's difficult for us to spot it you know, when it even becomes accessible. And that's what AI has become now. And unfortunately, people still don't buy into this and they still think it's so complex. And we want to encourage everyone to embrace it because otherwise we're going to miss out big time. Is that the quote, uh, the future's already here, it's just not e- very, it's just not evenly distributed? I, it's a quote I've heard mm-hmm. years ago, I think it was an 80s sci-fi writer, or even the 70s. <laughs> and I was watching a, um, a masterclass on... Um, uh, crypto and one of the guys p- pulled it out and, and just of the in referencing to the world of you know blockchain and digital transactions and how it's already here but it's just not necessarily that accessible and most people don't a lot of people don't feel comfortable with it which I think feels like 
it's easy to feel left left behind by technology for a lot of people. To your point, who haven't been around to see those two pennies every day, because by the fifth day you're going to start to see what's the pattern. But if you hear about two pennies, then you don't see it again to the month. You to the end of the month, you probably have no idea how it got there, and then you become overwhelmed as a business exactly. owner or as an inventor. So, <clears throat> talk to me a little bit about your own passion. Just you know, bringing back to we'll we'll obviously weave AI into this whole conversation, but even your decision to start this business. Was it something that you had always been pushing towards and realized that there was a need? And there's a big difference between being involved in an industry and then creating your own business to then solve a problem deliberately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I have I've always been a data scientist, you know, right right out of school. And I met, uh, you know, very brilliant colleagues, my co-founder, Padma Polash. And one thing, one theme was common is that leveraging this technology was complex. You had to piece a lot of things, a lot of technologies together to be able to build an actual solution. When I worked, you know, sometimes we had a 15-member squad working on a single use case or trying to solve a single problem. It took us six months. You know, uh, I've had stories of companies building solutions. You know, they start, but by the time they actually build a solution, the technology, the solution is obsolete. (laughs) It's it's no longer needed. Right? (laughs) So this, this, in my opinion, was unacceptable. You know, why, why should we, it be taking us so long? And we always talk about AI simplifying our lives, increasing productivity, making you know, it being very useful. Then why are the technologies for building AI so complex? Why can't we even leverage AI to make the development of AI easy and simple so that everyone can put it to work? And that is what got us to actually start our own business because even though we're creating innovative solutions and applying this technology in organizations, the processes, the frameworks, the, the platforms for building these were just so complex. And we thought there's something we can do about it. And so we started working on it. And, you know, thanks to God, we're able to actually make that progress. And so now we have been able to build, build it. And we will continue to evolve. We will continue to learn and improve as the technology also evolves and make sure it's always easy and accessible for, for anyone to leverage. I appreciate your motivation about making because all the value propositions it either makes my life easier or it makes me more money or it reduces my cost. But yet the reality of of applying AI in the real world wasn't actually able to do those things. It didn't it wasn't able to live up to its promise. I think you've seen a lot of companies get frustrated that they went down the road and spent a lot of time and energy, and then you hear the big numbers of you know projects that fail and that's and, and that sort of thing. Is this all lined up with the kind of the low code, no code movement that I'm seeing show up even in my world of marketing where you don't need a developer to build a website anymore? you can go and just take modules off the shelf and build the landing page or the marketing solution that you would need where a few years ago there it was just a different th- a process of who needed to be involved in that where that seems to be leveling up or, or leveling down i'm not even sure which way that which way you want to say that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's all lined up and tyler you you're you're right so you know i i always use this um analogy you know when carl benz created the first car right and his wife learned how to drive, but she was the first woman to learn how to drive. And later on, people who could afford the car, what they did is they, some, some of them were hire chauffeurs because it was expensive. Um, but what happened is that later on, they realized that, no, they need to actually make the cars affordable so that everyone can use it for their own purpose. Imagine if all of us had to hire chauffeurs. Now, there will be a bottleneck, right? Um, not all of us could also afford it. And that's exactly what it is. Low code, no code, puts the technology in the hands of everyone to be able to leverage it. Because 
there are more problems than there are data scientists. And if we always have to rely on data scientists to solve these problems, then we will never get there. It's been said that about 80% of this data science solutions don't even make it to production. And there are a host of reasons about, you know, for, for this. Sometimes resources uh, are not available. So low-code, no-code, just as you said, websites now people can just click it, you know, <laughs> they don't need to write any code. They can create their own e-commerce website and they're running. This is exactly the best way to scale the use of AI, to build low-code, no-code technologies so you can put it in the hands of everyone to use it, as opposed to people always taking their problems to the expert or the data scientist. Things are lost in translation. Sometimes they build solutions that are not useful to the end user. And so the best thing is to take the technology to the people who understand their business, they understand their data, they understand their domain, then they can build solutions that are, that are useful to them. You know, think of spreadsheets. You know, people used to write Fortran codes. They used to write command line programs and, you know, visual calculator came from IBM. But now, spreadsheets, you don't even need tutorials. But the truth is that because it's simplified, everyone is using it from hospitality, business to, to accounts, to finance, to, to marketing, to engineering. Everyone is using it. And that's the best way to scale the technology. Otherwise, it's just left in the hands of a few. That's such a great example of spreadsheets typically being in the past, being a domain of accountants or bookkeepers or financial people where now everybody uses it. Like if you're going to go you know, to your, your, your craft sale on the weekend, you're going to map out what your products are on your own spreadsheet that you built yourself because you can download it. Back to the mass adoption. Uh, talk to me a little bit, and you've, you've said it, and we've just that balance of putting, putting the power in the hand of the subject matter experts versus the have to rely on the data scientist model. And sounds like, and certainly examples I've seen is where there's been those failures or bottlenecks or let's just say increased time and maybe not the outcome. Was that dynamic between the subject matter experts and the data scientists or the data scientists knowing how to use the tech, but not necessarily really having a deep understanding of the problem itself they were solving. Has that been a big part of what's like really bogged it down up till now? And it sounds like the problem you're solving, and I've run into it on a few different, multiple episodes actually in conversation. Yeah, it's it's one of the major problems. You know, I, I come to you, Tyler, you are the data scientist, and I explain to you what I want, and I give you my data. And I have to walk you through every single data point as to what it means. And sometimes... You know, there are a lot of nuances in this data. And then you take it. You've never been in my field. I don't know, maybe supply chain or maybe engineering. And so now you have to build something for me. You know, you, you are also influenced by your own, your own biases as you go through it. And there is, you know, there is a good interchange of conversation between each other. But sometimes, most times, there is a disconnect because you definitely have to go sit somewhere and work on it for two weeks or so, and then you come back to me. <laughs> right? And... <laughs> <laughs> and I know, build- sooner or later you have to go away and work on the thing by yourself where all exactly. those biases show up and the problem with our biases is we often we don't realize them because we don't call them biases we just call them the way we see the world <laughs> exactly right so so that has been a major a major uh problem and for us to solve that it means we have to really empower the people to to actually be able to leverage this technology themselves that's talk to me about no, a little bit about, so, about sorry, the, oh go ahead no, no go ahead j- just to just to say the, there is, there is actually a place for data scientists, right? Um, because they started building this. Sometimes the problems are so complex that you need very skilled people and experts to be able to solve those problems. And that makes sense. And, and the data scientists have to be building that. But we as experienced data scientists also have to be spending our time 
to be simplifying the technology so other people can use it. You know, if if the automobile engineers only built were the only ones building cars and did not build it in such a way that you and I can have it in our house and know how it works and how to drive and how to care for it, then all of us would have been relying on them. So it's the same thing. We have to spend our skills to actually build and simplify the technology so other people can use it. And we focus on solving the most complex issues or the most complex scenarios that appear in our day-to-day day-to-day activities. There, I appreciate the thinking about AI from a mass adoption perspective. And there's also a degree of difficulty and degree of complexity. Like, yes, as a marketer, I can go bolt my own website together. But if I'm going to build a complex application that interacts with the customer and provides a much more elaborate service or outcome versus potentially just a landing page, not to minimize, but sometimes as marketers, it's just a basic page that will get them somewhere else and allow them to download some content. It's not an application where all of a sudden now I need to have some devs in the room and I need to have a different conversation, UX, UI. I want to touch a little bit about just the, the the challenge of the concern, and certainly there's been lots of um, media towards it around biases that get baked into AI and the individual data scientists putting their own filters on things, whether that's racial bias, gender bias, uh, cultural bias. Like, let's be honest, there's biases in every layer of our society because we learn what we learn and we see things the way we see them. How much is that a factor for you as a data, data scientist or even with your mission at BrainToy? to try to limit that, minimize its risk, knowing it's always going to be there, but understanding the impact it may or may not have? Yeah, I think that's a really great point you raised, Tyler. Um, biases have been introduced into a lot of these AI solutions, and, and that has affected people's adoption, you know, uh, people adopting this because they can't trust it, you know, and, and sometimes this trust is based on lack of knowledge, but sometimes it's also based on the experiences they've had as they interact with this technology. And as you said, you know, some, the, the skills of some people, some data scientists have introduced biases. Sometimes they have biases in the data. The lack of frameworks to actually help people to identify some of these biases. AI has become, you know, like a black box. They are not transparent. We don't know how they're making their decisions. And all of this have contributed. However, everyone is working towards this. And so, for instance, in BrainToy, one thing we do is that usually people have about six, five steps in building solutions, you know, understand your business, understand your data, build your models, evaluate them, deploy them. But we have uh, another another module in there, another step called governance. Now, what that governance does is governance is a framework that basically helps you to be transparent, to break the black box open so that it's transparent, to be able to explain you know, it's called model explainability. Explain how the models are making the decisions. To be able to get someone like a model risk manager uh, to to at least uh, question the assumptions of the model developer, of the person that develops the solutions, so that if there are any biases or anything, you, it could be identified and before you put this in, in, in production. And in our platform, that is non-negotiable because... Big organizations, I don't know if you heard Amazon as an example, a couple of years ago, built a recruitment system. And it, it's their recruitment system uses AI. But only for them to realize that it's been biased towards women for so many years. Why? It's because of the data that was used. And I don't know what frameworks they have to check before things go into, into production. But these are critical. And there are in Canada, for instance, there is a body called OSFI, the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, and they have a model risk management policy and framework that you, if you adapt, and there are a host of them out there, and a lot of packages coming out, 
that people can take, they can embrace, so that they can build ethical AI solutions. Mm. It, it, it sounds like maybe a silly question, but do you use AI to test AI? It's like, is there a system that can go and then, you know, because it, like you said, it's so complex and there's so much going on inside the black box. Is there just, is there other systems being built to filter that, to be able to test and say, hey, we've got this new, we, we'll talk about OpenAI and their chat platform that they've kind of released out to the world right right now. I guess, is there any systems running somewhere else that then go and test that system for its biases and, and unethical or like deliberately biased um, answers or responses or, or problem solving by the platform itself? Yeah, there are. There are packages. I would say there are frameworks, you know, that are being built. Um, and, and in organizations, there are a lot of, in fact, a friend of mine is a chief equity you know, officer. And and basically what they, they do is they make sure that algorithms, you know, the way we use algorithms in making decisions are always transparent and they are not biased towards, you know, a certain group of people. So there are processes, there are frameworks that have been developed. And if, if you can tap into those, now granted, some of them, most of them are not matured. You know, they are still being tested. Uh, however, there are a few matured ones like, you know, SHAP shape that we actually leverage in explaining our models. There are a few matured ones that you can you can leverage, you can tap into, and it will help you to be able to identify how are these making the decisions? Are there any any biases in here? And, you know, you can also even have a, a process in your own organization. Um, this exercises build solutions, and sometimes you don't want people to, 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 to code review it or to, to check what they have built. But even in software engineering, they put code reviews for a reason. They put testing for a reason so that if there are any bugs or anything, people can identify it. And it's the same thing. As we build machine learning operation platforms, we embed some of these frameworks and, and processes in them. And people are building solutions that can help you do this. So to your point, AI doing this. Um, people are constantly, researchers are constantly working towards this. So I think we, we are better off really looking at the positive side you know, there's there is there are negative sides to everything, right? Of, uh, of course, of the course. The car is very useful, but people use it for different things. Um. <laughs> Some people get occasionally people get run over. I know, I yeah, I do appreciate, <laughs> but it's, it's understanding and, and what's and what's the intention and, and when we know that the ultimate lift will be to benefit the many we need to just be very disciplined. And you said that the word is governance. What are we doing to govern in these platforms? And because they're so powerful and so like all kind of appear to be all knowing sometimes, obviously we talked about the fact that this is a, this is a maturing technology. And at the same time, it still feels we're still at the early days of this new cycle that we're in. You know, when you t I've had people on say, Oh yeah, this is, you know, the AI was going to change our world in the fifties. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Obviously computers and technology and accessibility and wireless, all the things that we have now are conspiring to allow this to go at scale. But where would you say we are in terms of like, where, where are we going to be two years from now versus where we are today? Like, where are we in terms of this current adoption cycle that, like you said, it's matured and it's really starting to run, but it does feel like two years from now, we're going to be somewhere completely different than where we are today. And now a message from one of our valued partners. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I have formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. 
Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern-day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were opened to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of any slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us, as well as upcoming events that where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in ending slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Thank you for listening, and now back to today's good old-fashioned chat. Yeah, I, I two things come to my mind. I, I think that one there is going to be these a lot of these technologies that simplify the development of AI, the low-code, no-code technologies. Uh, we are working on it. A lot of companies have been working on it you know, for at least the past 15 to 20 years. Companies have been working to simplify this so that they can put it, this in the hands of everyone. And then the second one is also making the principles of what AI is available. Um, you know, recently, actually in January, there was an Ipsos study, um, and Canada was last almost in every category of the study when it comes to using AI. Canada was number one in one t- category. You know what that was? Skepticism about AI. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. Where, where I guess I didn't want to be number one, but that's, that, is re- <laughs> yeah. that is really interesting. You know, and if you read that study and the report, you know, it's, it's basically... Because there is a lack of knowledge about what the technology is and how it could be used for. And so if we can also make this knowledge and, and, and the principles, and I use principles because, you know, with principles, you, you, you can tailor them once you understand them, right? They are not laws. You, 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 you can use your yes, discretion. So and t- principles are not, are not laws. I appreciate the differentiation. There, yeah. Right? So you, you can tailor them and use them when they are needed for specific purposes. And, and so once we make that available and explain them in ways that are not very um, so complex to the, to the normal person, we stay away from using words like, you know, the algorithms and, and you know, entropy and, and all of these things. And we explain it in simple and plain languages so that people can understand it. Then the knowledge of, of these principles will be out there. When people understand it and they have the technology to leverage, then we'll be able to scale. And I think this is where AI is going. Interesting. I really appreciate that. In so much of our world, there's an easy tendency for people to feel, quote unquote, and I've had these conversations with different uh, thought leaders, uh, that the left behind generation where it's like they immediately feel alienated because the terminology is unfamiliar. They're like, oh, geez, I'm not tech oriented. I remember when like, you know, I held off even getting anything like I, I didn't want to get involved in crypto because I'm not a technology guy. So a couple of years ago, I went, this is ridiculous. I need to learn this. But it, it was a barrier that kind of held me out that I made up in my own head, which again, most barriers we make up our own head <laughs> in terms of like what I thought it was. And it, it just wasn't for me. And I think that that's such a challenge for so many people because of the language. And in my experience, experts and technically proficient individuals like to use the words that are relevant to their industry and their world. Like it's not a fault. It's almost hard to, you know, I don't want to say dumb it down, but 
That's for the simple terms. Just make it so I can understand. Give me the basics here. <laughs> I completely <laughs> <that's> agree. <laughs> you know, and I think sometimes people also like to use these jargons to make themselves look smart, which I think <laughs> is unnecessary. I'm glad you. I'm glad you said that, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> There is that. We all have um, <laughs> Uncle George at the uh, Christmas party dropping the big engineering terms. <laughs> I'm joking. I love Uncle George. Um, but I, I do think that doesn't do any service to back to your point of mass adoption is when this thing will really start to impact us and kind of show its true potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whether I'm just using crypto because I've been watching crypto videos recently. It's always fun to learn about something when it's in the dark days. Everyone wants to learn about it when it's booming and it's awesome. But when it's uh, getting dragged through the mud is also an interesting time to see who's still sharing information about it. But it's just another technology platform. Until it's made easy enough for people to access, it will not re-smash adoption. And I think that's interesting when you think about applied AI. It also gets me excited when I think about the, the number of people that I know that are experts in their space and really understand, back to your point about subject matter experts, then all of a sudden you give them this incredible tool, the equivalent of spreadsheets for keeping themselves organized. Mm-hmm. Man, the exponential lift that that can create in a variety of industries is pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. And and you know, it's not it's not about the technology. It's about how we can use this to solve problems that can make humans better. You know, improve yeah. human life, right? Um a lot of people once they understand this could become entrepreneurs and they solve problems that massively impact positively, you know, a whole lot of people in our community and in the world in general. But if they don't understand it, the ideas, they're stuck with it. And sometimes they don't, they even cannot identify opportunities just because they don't know that there is. What's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very, very imperative that, you know, we make this accessible and make people fully understand it so they can, they can actually use it. Uh, Curious your thoughts on some of the, you know, AI showing up in our world and sometimes we don't even know it. That predictive uh, tool on Google that finishes my sentences for me and those types of things. And, you know, which sometimes feels creepy and sometimes feels like I wouldn't talk like that. And other times you're like, wow, that's funny. That's exactly what I would have said or I'm going to, or I just say yes. So, and then also I know um, OpenAI released the, another iteration of their chat platform. And my brother-in-law who's, who's my technical ex, my technical geek in the family always like, oh, have you checked this out? So about a week ago, I started going down that rabbit hole for anyone who hasn't checked out the new um, OpenAI chat platform. It's showing up in all these little like almost playful but i would argue very accessible ways which i think that's the key because it's not scary it's fun it's not disrupting my life it's not taking my job well yeah so talk to me a little bit about you know how these things are starting to slowly show up in our life and then let's talk a little bit about some of the fear that people have around this taking technology is going to take my job so what what are your thoughts about all the ways that's actually showing up in little bite-sized amounts in our world that we're probably not even noticing (laughs) yeah so you know, uh, Chat GPT, uh, G- GPT Chat is is a is a classic example. Um, we interact with chatbots all the time, and now this this one from OpenAI is doing so much. From I have seen people try it, and I tried it myself. Where now it's able to just write. Uh, you can just switch on a terminal, and then you can just ask it questions, and it will start writing the commands for you. Uh, people have written natural language. And it generates a code in SA C sharp for them. It's writing real code that if you were you are not a software engineer or a programmer, you would never been able to would have been able to write. And it's so easy for people to use, right? Uh, yet sometimes we don't know what is behind it. Now GPT comes from Open AI, so maybe a lot of people know. However, all of us have Netflix in our homes and, and we watch Netflix all the time. You know, all the recommendations that come. 
this is AI behind it. When we watch these YouTube videos and it says, oh, because you watch this, you are interested in this. Or when we buy things on Amazon and then it makes the recommendation of all of these other products. When we look for the shortest route, the shortest possible distance from, you know, our location, let's say, for instance, to downtown and, and Google does all the computations for us and it routes us. Oh, there's traffic here and it identifies, detects all of these things. It, that's what's happening. When we use our phone, the QWERTY T-board, that lens, you know, it lends all the our typing patterns and the words, or even just the facial recognition that we use to unlock our phone. These are, this this is AI at work, and it's just part of our lives, and, and we're using it, right? But, you know, we might not actually see it. But unfortunately, as you said, some of these usage, sometimes we think, oh, this is way far from me. I can't use it in my own organization. However, in organizations, People are building this. Telecommunications have been building AI solutions that, that detects customers that are potential flight risk. Is Tyler going to stop using my service and why? So that they based on it. certain behavior and certain traits. Exactly. Right. So this is here and and it, it could be very, very useful. But people are also, like you said, they are skeptic about it. They they are there is this phobia. No, um, and apparently number one skeptics live in Canada as well. <laughs> That's really interesting. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's yeah. going to hurt that that's going to do nothing but hurt us in the long run. I'm afraid, uh, you know, I, I get it. There's a, a healthy degree of skepticism, but not so much that it stops you from going forward and learning. That's a, there's a fine line with skepticism. <laughs> yeah, it, it is true. You know, but, um, I think also that, you know, th- this fear is, is okay. It's, it's, it's good to be, to have this, I call it AI, they are AI phobic, right? Which, okay. Yep. <laughs> which, which is, which is, which is okay. But the, there's a point where, you know, then it becomes unhealthy. Um, because most people think, oh, it's going to take away my jobs. Um, the truth is that AI actually augments what we do. And in most cases, when it replaces something, a, a certain job, that means that it's a, it's a pure routine. It's something that you have been doing the same thing for maybe 20 years. And when you sleep and wake up, you are going to be able to do the exact same thing, even when you just wake up. If it's just a routine, that sounds somebody... like my, that sounds like my definition of hell. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, if it's just a routine, then it's going to be automated. However, if we are adaptable into embracing, usually, whenever it it you create a solution with AI, and or let's say you automate a process with it, it it tend to create different roles that people can tap into if they are adaptable. And so most of the scenarios, what I have seen is that AI always augments what we do. You can never take the human out of the loop. After all, it's we humans that are creating it. And when we build the solutions, they support what we do so that we can be faster, we can be efficient, we can focus on doing the things we really love to do, right? And it can help us to be proactive and, and give us insights into things that we may not necessarily be able to identify. Because one classic example is this, you know, Tyler, if I give you a data, a spreadsheet that has 700 columns and maybe 1 million records, and I tell you to just go in and hey, and, and give me some insights, it's, it's probably very difficult. Yeah, I would. Yes, yeah, so I would. I would. I would ask you uh, what, what tools I could use to do that. <laughs> exactly. Right. But you see, if you have an automated solution such as, you know, a machine learning algorithm learning from this, then within a click of a button, it will proactively be able to tell you, just like the example we said, hey, Tyler is a great customer of yours, but Tyler is potentially going to stop using your service. 
And by the way, this is why. These are the top reasons why Tyler might stop using your service. So what it does is gives you that power to now begin to put in place interventions. You can reach out to him. You can try to mitigate the risk of you know, him leaving and you can save him. And in most telecommunications, as an example, this has become very useful because it costs them more than five to 10 times. It costs them about, yeah, five to 10 times more to acquire a new customer than to retain an existing one. So why would you lose the customer only to spend more money? Because then what will happen is now they say, we don't have much money. Okay, then we have to lay people off. And it just trickles. There's a trickling effect down the road. That's such a great example of, you know, thinking about my world where a lot of our sales or a lot of our account management is very one-to-one. I know when I get off the phone with that individual, I'm like, oh, I don't think they're happy or geez, you know, that we missed a deadline or you get that, but it's a one-to-one. But as soon as you have one-to-many and you have a hundred customers, a thousand, 10,000, a million customers, it's almost impossible to give that service. But yet as a customer, I still want to get that one-to-one service. (laughs) So, you know, if I think about the role that AI plays, eventually that either I get the incentive sent to me that gets me to sign up or someone like you said, it gets escalated through the technology, but then a person calls me and said, Hey, we just wanted to check in. Like, it's amazing how it scales back to what you would have done on a one-to-one kind of smaller scale that just loses its capabilities with volume. To me, that feels like a benefit because the AI kind of brings that back. Cause like you said, it gives you that spreadsheet and turns it into some value because we've been collecting data now for a while, but what do I do with it? How do I value, how do I create value from it? It's pretty tough to give one individual that spreadsheet and get, exactly. and get that same value out of it. Exactly. And, and you know, when, when we hmm. talk about people also being afraid, I don't, I personally, maybe it's because I'm too close to AI uh, and machine learning and I don't know why people feel this way. There have been a lot of professions that are no longer that no longer exist, and it had nothing to do with nothing to do with AI because they just failed to innovate. Um, there were internet cafes. Where are they now? Um, there were a lot of companies that used to print maps and 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 globes. You know, people had the globes sitting on their desk, and you know, a lot of maps when you were traveling. Where are they now? Right? Technology has evolved, and so they had to evolve with it. Newspapers. All of us used to buy them. Right? Where are they now? Now you read them online, you subscribe to it. Imagine if those people, for instance, you know, the New York Times or Inside, all of these, imagine if they do not innovate with the advancement of technology, they will be out of business. Right? And that's exactly what it is with, with, with AI. I know people are afraid of it, but it actually augments what we do. And when it takes away jobs, it also creates new roles. And we just have to adapt to it. And a lot of things will take away jobs and have been taken away jobs. People have just had to be creative and innovative, move with the technology so that they can still stay out of business. Uh, sorry, in business. And what I'm hearing you say is, you know, oftentimes those jobs are replaced by more technologically savvy jobs. But what I'm hearing is maybe no, it's that the low code, no code or access to technology, I don't have to be a data scientist. I just need to understand there's this tool that I can now use to augment my already existing subject matter expertise in whatever industry I happen to be in. I had a gentleman on talking about robotics. He's like, you don't have to be a robotics engineer, but you need to know there's going to be a robot beside you in the kitchen now prepping with you. Like that's the the next five years. Like that's how it goes. So you need to appreciate and understand that and how to work with it. You don't necessarily need to how to build it. And I appreciated the, the understanding of, I don't have to be a data scientist to understand that these are things that are going to play in my career period or my life they already are they already tell me how to get downtown they already tell me what to watch on netflix Uh, curious you're 
it's a circling back to the Netflix one. I was traveling on the weekend. I was in Toronto and I logged in. I turned on the TV and it was someone else's Netflix, which is always a jarring experience because you're like, <laughs> I have not seen any of these recommendations ever before. <laughs> but there's that moment that I challenge myself. I'm like, wow, that's weird. What am I not getting shown? What am I not getting exposure to? And just because I watched Die Hard because it's a Christmas movie. Now I'm only going to get Bruce Willis movies. I don't want to watch other Bruce Willis. Movies. I just watched Die Hard because it's Christmas. I'm picking a random example. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was listening to a bait the other day of the what is the best Christmas movie? I think Die Hard won out, which I thought was hilarious. But I don't want to watch just that. But the algorithm almost makes me feel one dimensional. I guess risks in those biases, and maybe that is part of that bias and part of that governance of like. How do they know, based on me watching three action movies, I'm just picking that, that is, you know, I might actually enjoy a romantic comedy or I might want to learn about history or I might want to watch something else. Is that part of the risk that where we're at now? Because it's a bit, it can run the risk of being one dimensional. We all know that through our social media feeds and, hey, I keep getting more of the same thing. Well, yeah, because that's what they're feeding you. But as a human, I have diverse interests and I am curious about other things that also include Die Hard. <laughs> yeah. Thought, thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great point. You know, people have said that it's these recommendations have put us in echo chambers, right? And because of that, we only get familiar with certain we get privy to certain informations and and it is very true. And I think there is an improvement coming. A lot of people are trying to work towards improving these recommendation systems. Um but but some of the other things also is that these recommendations are built to actually help organizations to maximize their profits and, and to yeah. in their in their mind to also serve what a customer needs. They try to tailor it to what you need. And so it tries to improve based on what you search, what you look for. Um, and the result is that sometimes you are put in a particular chamber, you only end up with romantic movies because this <laughs> is what you have been yep. you have been watching. But you realize that the moment you maybe click on another type of maybe comedy or something as an example then it's that it begins to to try to mix it up so i think there is a lot of improvement that could be made but there has to be a balance and and you know i don't know what that balance is yeah as opposed to trying to put you in an echo chamber there is also a place where you can find everything that is happening where maybe you can go and you can you can sift through it and find what you want but once you find it and you start digging it then i still have to tailor you and direct you to what you want yeah, so yeah. what is that what is that balance what is that fine line and how do we walk it um i am still figuring that out and i'm sure maybe other people have figured out that out but it's also part of how we build these recommendation systems and there is an improvement all the time and I'm, i hope the world at large will continue to try to build such that we can address some of these needs I appreciate the honesty around that. And you're right. It's, we wanted, I want curation, but I also want diversity. I also want to be exposed to new ideas and be, you know, given a chance to be interested in things that I didn't know this morning when I woke up, I was going to be interested in it. But all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that's a cool rabbit hole. And that is the internet or or technologies in a nutshell. So when you think about the next year to two years and you think about business, business applications, whether it's, you know, small, medium or large size businesses, what are the places that you think, you know, if you're going to get out your crystal ball, where you see AI starting to play a role where you know a year from now we'll be using it maybe in ways that are just more accessible and again maybe simple simple use cases and simple problems but getting back to making our lives better what are some of the things that you're kind of excited about seeing kind of seeing the light of day here maybe over the next whatever timeline next year to two years yeah i I, for me i think academia is is one of the ways uh one of the places um because most of these academic institutions were struggling to understand what this is and to even be able to empower 
current and future generations, right? And so now with they're adapting this technology, using them themselves, uh, school of construction, school of business, healthcare, using it and empowering the future workforce, I think is very, very good. And, and I am excited about it because then they can begin to think about as they enter the workforce, solve problems that will, that will help the organization to be profitable, but also, you know, that will help humanity in general. Um, the other, the other place I see that I'm very, very excited about also is healthcare. You know, um, COVID came, we're not able to, uh, we, we've dealt with it, but we have been involved in some use cases, as an example, in, in some developing countries where they are even trying to detect the onset of a pandemic, as an example, um, before it happens so that they can, they can, they can help, um, they can prevent it from spreading. Um, Pregnant women lose their lives all the time, you know, sometimes after surgery and they bleed to death. And, and we have been involved in use cases in healthcare that we are able to predict the onset. Uh, sorry, um, if a patient, uh, to predict the a patient's ability to arrest blood, you know, after surgery, because right now it's a guesswork for these doctors. So, you know, healthcare is another place that I think is very useful. And a lot of, a lot of people are now beginning. There used to be a lot of issue with data privacy. But, you know, now they are realizing that, you know, let's find, let's put in place some type of frameworks that can still let us help us leverage this technology. Otherwise, we're going to miss out. So, And you can anonymize the data and remove personal, but you can still get information about groups of individuals without knowing it's Jane or Joe or Frank or like, you know, taking up. I've had a lot of people chat about that. That's less of a problem because there's, it's very easy to benefit from the, what you're learning while, while keeping the individual's identity anonymous as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there, in fact, there is one use case that I never thought, you know, sometimes there are, use, there are places that are being used. Would you ever think that the beer you're drinking was brewed with AI? I, I would not think that. I'm thinking, I see a guy with a big, like, you know, stirring it. No, that's a little bit old, but yeah, no, I, I, no, I don't, but why not? Sure. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. And I did, I did a company actually in the, in the States and this is what they're doing. They, they are able to collect preferences of people, um, and they, obviously, I'm not a beer guy, but they're able to collect people's preferences and they're able to brew, you know, certain kinds of beer. And so that their goal is to be able to tailor the beer to your preference. So you drink it, you like it, if you are similar to other people. I received a message from one guy who said he is trying to use AI in developing skincare. And this is a company in Edmonton. It's a startup. And we had a great conversation. I said, this is, I'm curious about this. And, and basically, he said, everyone's skin is different. and so. If you collect, you know, the information, details about the skin and the parameters, you know, and the data points, uh, you will be able to create a mixture of lotion and creams that are suited for that particular skin type. I said, this is fantastic. So imagine you just go to the shop and you buy your cream and you never thought, you never think AI was involved in developing this. So I think there are a lot of obvious ways. There are also a lot of ways that is going to be that are not so obvious. But I'm very excited about how it improves our lives and make our lives better, you know, in manufacturing, in healthcare, in transportation, um, in telecommunication, in finance, and a host of them. And, you know, we are here to support and do our part. I love that those examples, the beer example and the skincare example, because they're both also examples of personalization at scale, which is incredibly hard to do. You know, I've got 10,000 people. I can give them all the same beer. 
But if I can break those up into subgroups and this 500 get this and this 1,000 get that or identify that maybe it's not even worth making this beer because only 12 people like it as, as a case. But as we all, as I reach for my phone, we get so um, centric on what I care about and I want everything curated for me. But I also appreciate from a business perspective, it's incredibly difficult to scale that. Yeah. You know, even now we talk about, you know, work from home and work from the office and we should do this and we should do that. I'm like, do you ever think about what the individual cares about? But it's hard to do that for a company that has 5,000 employees. If you have 30 employees, you can call each one up and ask them what matters to them. It's harder to do that at scale. Yeah. <laughs> and, but yet I demand personalization because, you know, I don't care necessarily what the other person wants. This is what fits my lifestyle. And I don't know, I think COVID has maybe accelerated that a little bit in different ways as we all identified, well, this is exactly what works for me, but the company goes, no, this is how we're going to do it for everyone yeah and, very and very seldom do we see ourselves as the everyone anymore right <laughs> exactly and you see and, and to all the points you made for me this is another thing i'm super excited imagine you never thought the, the person working on alcohol you know brewing beer or maybe in the pub will be thinking about this technology but now they are you know the person the person working on 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 lotions and i don't i've forgotten the the, the term for you know people that lotions and creams and we'll be thinking about about this but but here they are and it's because they understand what it is they know what it is they know how it could be applied and they can see how they can they can utilize it in solving problems in their own domain that to me is very exciting because then we can just see it across domains and we'll see a lot of improvements we'll see a lot of creative ways in which problems are solved and solutions are created and, you know, we couldn't have asked for a better way to improve our lives than that. You know, and if technology is living up to its promise, it's, it's, you said it right back to the beginning, it is ultimately improving human existence. If it's not doing that, well, then what is it, what is it doing? Or maybe it's improving one group, but not, maybe not the other. So if I'm an individual or I'm an organization, small, medium, or large, and I'm listening to this podcast, do people just call you up? Do they go like, what's the best way to, like, how would I engage? Is there a bit of a discovery session? Hey, here's what I'm trying to do. Because I, I know a lot of times for people at this stage, it's a bit of a, it's an idea on a napkin. It's a harebrained scheme. It's, you know, we've tried it and it hasn't worked you know how I, I guess how what percentage of people do you talk to that are frustrated because they've tried to use ar tried to use certain technologies in this field and it's failed and now they're trying again versus how many are calling you for the first time going okay i got an idea i really understand the problem i just i know there's got to be a better way to do it but i don't understand the tools <laughs> yeah i would say about 70 percent of the people have a lot of problems they don't understand how to use it okay and you know maybe about 30 percent spent some money and you know they got nothing, nothing back, and that is yeah. unfortunate. You know, people yeah. have 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 sold descriptive statistics as AI. You know, they created a, Ooh, a very... tell, tell me more about that. Descriptive statistics as <laughs> as AI. <laughs> yeah, they 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 have created this very fancy dashboard which could be done in Excel or you know some <laughs> of these visualization tools that say how many I don't know how many records were sold last year, um, how many customers did we lose as an example, and you know, you have a big number there and then they say this is AI, but it's not. It's, it's you are counting a certain number of things within a certain category and, and then you, you sold them as AI. And That's more like you're just visualizing some data that you have and it's a number. It's not being interpreted or processed. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, finding averages and finding, you know, like means and, and medians and modes and those kind of things. These are all, and this is what they have sold. And it's unfortunate. Um, but it's also because, you know, people do not talk to the, the right people. And, 
And for us, when people, most people come to us and sometimes they don't even know where to start. And so we have, you know, some, some process, we call it our scientific methodology that we, we take them through. And, and the first is, you know, we call it educating. So educating basically means opening your eyes to what is possible as we listen to your problems, as we listen to the kind of data that you have, some of the things that you wish could happen, we, we help you brainstorm and identify opportunities for AI. And this also goes back to us empowering your team with the knowledge of what the technology is. And all of a sudden, they start point, oh, so this way, oh, we have this video information, this audio information, this text information from the call center, all of, oh, we can actually use it. And so they end up having like 10 sometimes 15 different ideas. Now, then we also prioritize based on value, based on data that you have, that, you know, even based on budget. And then we take maybe the top one or two, and then we walk through which one is easy for us to actually solve within a short period of time, whether it's a very simple, instead of maybe doing a, a big project, maybe a small problem. Can we experiment and can we do a pilot and can we prove the value of this thing in, in your organization? And once we do that within a short period of time, usually sometimes four to three, uh, four to 12 weeks. Okay. Okay. So I, like basically three to four months or two to three months. Okay. Yeah, exactly. You know, then, then they, 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 they start measuring. Sometimes they even begin to collect more data. And then they say, oh, actually, let's build this out because we think we can see the potential. We can see the value this brings. And then now we put that in production and then we begin to build on top of it. And then they begin to also identify various use cases. In our, in our case, because we have a platform that marketing can use, supply chain can use, engineering can use, they start bringing other people to the table. And now all of a sudden they have a lot of use cases and each one narrows it down to maybe one. And they also take three months to build something. And then they begin to see the value. And sometimes, you know, you build something and maybe they see that it's not useful, but you didn't waste a lot of time. You didn't spend a lot of money. You just did it, you know, but five departments worked on five different things, one failed, but maybe four of them worked. This is fantastic. And that's what we've seen because we really spent time with them to try to empower them to do this. You know, we always say we don't want to be that consultant that I come, I build something for Tyler, and then you always have to come rely on me. It's, the, it's golden, the, go, the golden handcuffs we've all had yeah. those before yes that's right so i built something for you because maybe you don't understand i hold your hand and i show you how to walk but because i now empower you with this the principles and the technology now you can begin to run and you don't have to call me again you can begin to build on top of it does this also help when i'm assuming organizations that have a kind of a test and learn mindset and have a Oh, it has to be perfect, or it's not, or it's not successful, because uh, this is a lot of change management of people getting really comfortable, kind of trying things, not always being one hundred percent sure of the outcome. Which, and, and that comes up a lot in the in like large organizations with large degrees of governance, where the try and fail model sometimes is scary <laughs> for them. <laughs> it is true, um, you know. But the, I'll tell you one big problem we always find is that most organizations want their data to be one hundred percent perfect with no errors they say data quality has to be 100 percent before they start the truth is tyler you will never start your data will never be 100 percent there are always issues with the systems collecting the data even people in inputting data and the formats in which you store them or you collect them right and there are so many different kinds of data too and so we always say you know let's identify you, we know you have so many different sources. You've identified a very small problem. 
that you think is very useful. What data points could be tied into this? And we can find the data points, the ones that are good. You know, the quality is not 100%, but maybe it's 70%. And we can begin to build on top of that because that's one thing AI can also help, even if you have poor quality data and it can, you can build solutions. So um, I guess in a nutshell, what I'm saying is that just embrace this. If, if anything, if anything at all, we've seen how COVID, with COVID, things can change. Um, we live in a world that has been called a world of acceleration change. And if we want to be able to keep up, then we also have to change with it. And if we are stagnant and we stay in our old ways, then we are never going to be able to keep up. Right. And a lot of people say, oh, my company is not forward thinking, but I am. Well, the people that make up the company is you and I. So what are our <laughs> thinking? How do we think, right? Are we, do we have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset? If, if, if I think with a growth mindset, then I will be open to embracing this and I will at least give it a chance and try whilst being, still being careful. And I will be potentially be able to see the benefits and, and the use in, in my field or in my domain. I appreciate what you said, and I, I would argue it's always been that way. It's just faster now. <laughs> if, if you know, if, uh, we all we, we could all use the Starbucks example, the Kodak example. There's a there's not Starbucks. I'm sorry, a Blockbuster. Um, I'm sure Starbucks has its own version of the story, but there's always <laughs> been these versions. But you're right; it's just accelerating. And you know, the more technology we have, the more the whole process does accelerate. So the feeling of getting left behind could just happen a lot faster. Or maybe it used to take decades before. Now it feels like it takes months. <laughs> if, right. if you if you choose, but I like that my company isn't. But yet we all as the proverbial we make up that make up that organization i love how we'd like to give uh, companies these nameless faceless like the company it's still a bunch of people let's not forget that let's not forget that it's an entity right <laughs> it is it totally is <laughs> kwame it's so fantastic talking to you i'm so i love this topic i love geeking out on it i think we could we could go down an even deeper rabbit hole uh, if we ha- if we if we wanted to but uh really really love what you're doing love the loco no code because it creates success for someone who's always bid himself as a non-technical person but yet I'm also very results oriented and very much, wow, what could this do? So seeing those two worlds blend selfishly really gets me really inspired about where things can go organizationally. And there just doesn't feel like any barriers anymore. Once you start taking away the, I'm not a technical person story that maybe some of us, me tell has told myself over the years, <laughs> mm-hmm. but lean in. There's only one way. Dig it, dig it, dig in, dig in. Um, people want to get a hold of you. Obviously braintoy.ai. You guys get a great site. You got some good information on here. What's the best way for people to reach out or get in contact or what, what's your preferred because everyone knows how to find everybody these days but what's your preferred i think i'm i'm very active on linkedin oh nice fantastic yeah if you find me on linkedin you know you search kwame siedu you will you will find me and i don't know maybe there are other kwame siedus out there but i have the slogan using ai to make ai easy to build and so you know probably hopefully this sets me apart from the other kwamis um (laughs) (laughs) there's only one no i love it (laughs) there's always more than one of us out there when you search our names right it's funny yeah no matter how uh, unique it feels you're like how is there six of us on here from all over the world but that's (laughs) that is the world we live in (laughs) yeah i'm always there so if you reach out i'll be happy to connect Uh, you can also reach out on on brain toy website connect you know connect at braintoy.ai we do have these forms but Personally, on LinkedIn, if you reach out, I will be there and I will, I'll, I'll connect. Yeah. I do appreciate it. I'm on your site. Request a demo, get our newsletter, need support, book a speaker. Uh, you guys make it. You, yeah. What, what, do you, what, what do you want to talk to us about? And we'll, and we'll be there for you. I do appreciate it when 
don't don't be hard to get a hold of. It's first just basic rule of business. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much. Uh, stay warm, and uh, thanks so much for the conversation today. Keep up the good work. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tyler, for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure.